Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to another Finish the Fight bonus episode. I am your host, Derek Baker. <laughs> I am your host, Alex Kendall. And today, we're going to be talking about what makes a video game. What are the components of a video game? And what are the most important? And it varies per genre, and I guess per decade, some might say. Um, if you've ever played the uh, video game design maker game, I forget what it's called, but you run a games company. It's pretty fun. And you have to draw, draw mm. these sliders to see, like, do I want more sound design in it? Do I want more level design? Do I want more of this? What makes each genre kind of good with that? Um, and each follows five rough and tumble core concepts. Um, so we've got game design. So that is looking at like your gaming world, your levels, your characters, things along those lines. Story design. Does it have a cohesive story? Is it compelling? Does it make sense? Does it, you know, pull on the heartstrings or pull on the smile strings? We also have the audio design. So that includes the music, the sound effects, the sound design. Like if you're in a cave, is it auditorily, you know, bouncing off the walls? The visuals, the graphic design. Are the graphics there? Uh, do they need to be tech, 4K, beautifully sharp, or can they be simplistic pixel art? And then finally, it boils down into mechanics and quality. You know, uh, do I want a quick time event? Does it feel good to do like a double jump? Do these mechanics make sense for the game I'm in? So we'll go through each category, kind of breaking them down, and I think talk about importance for Derek and I in those things and how they kind of cross genre, even if your genre isn't, let's say, story heavy, why it's still important to have a story design. And I think that it's just a really interesting discussion. And we did a little bit of research just into, you know, these different categories and where game designers really try and focus in on uh, certain elements. And obviously people value and weight them differently. But we've done a few episodes now since we've come back where graphics in particular are not necessarily the most important thing that made those video games great. Um, Stardew Valley, for instance, or mm -hmm. perhaps um, if this episode is not out yet, uh, or maybe it is, Super Mario Brothers on the NES. You know, those are two really, really great games where having a realistic vision doesn't necessarily equate to having a good game. And mm -hmm. so it's a really interesting discussion, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead and we'll dive into game design first. So as I had said, game design encompasses your gaming world, your characters, your levels, your feel, your colors. You know, that includes visuals with it. But like, how does the design of the actual world of the game fit in there? And... This, to me, is one of the more important ones to it. Like, how do I get immersed? Why do I feel for these characters? Are the characters cool? Is there, like, a cool cybernetic character for, like, this future game? Is there a cool medieval-looking character for this? Is there a cool anime character for all of the Final Fantasy titles? You know, game design for the gaming world and, and character design is insanely important. And it is one of the first things, at least for me, that brings me into the overall game and kind of makes me want to sit down and play. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this one, it is easy to sort of get confused with graphics um, mm -hmm. because so just when you're talking about like game design and world building and all that stuff, 
I think that it's easy to just equate it to the graphics aspects because when you think of like a God of War or a Skyrim mm-hmm. or a Red Dead Redemption or something like that, you're not building this linear level. You're building like an open world game where it's really mm-hmm. important that everything remains fluid and you feel immersed and all that different stuff. Whereas maybe you have a side-scrolling title like a Super Mario Brothers, maybe like a Hollow Knight. And mm-hmm. there is a certain artistic aspect to those games that doesn't always necessarily reflect itself within good graphics. It just sure. is more important to the themes of the game. And so, to me, game design is just your clear artistic vision. And I think that unless you have a good game design when it comes down to the characters, to the world building, level building, like you said, if you don't have that clear vision in your head of what your game is going to look like, then you can't really do a lot with the other categories here. So I 100% believe that this is the most important one. It is. And, and it, it leads into, like you said, a lot of the other things, like in, into the storybook, into the storyboarding of this game and like what the actual, like what the, your, your antagonist and protagonist are doing in it, uh, it, it is huge. And it's also figuring out the gaming like mechanics of it. Uh, which built into that. How is the game played? So you you start off with your, you know, your your world overall in this game design. And that's where, at least for me, I would start. Because yeah, that that influences so much of what you're going to do. Look at Borderlands. Borderlands is a on paper, a simplistic first-person shooter that has randomized loot. Then you start to add in the characters. You give comedic timing to the characters. You make it more of a comedy game. And then you add in the cell shading. And then that's where you get these graphical enhancements to it that make it its own art style that builds into the game. Then, like I said, the sound design, building into these funny quips and these different characters that you play as. And so, yeah, as you start to get that character design down, you know, because, I mean, that's Mario. That's Sonic. That's Link. That's all of these amazing characters that we see. And then building those worlds around it and building these, especially when it came to the, the start of the 90s into mid-late 90s and wanting to build out universes that these characters kind of not lived in, but worked in, but thrived in, is, is where we need to start that out and, and to see and respect how much it takes to just start this off. You yeah. know, if, if you don't... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and it just... It depends, too, on how centralized... Like, what kind of, of game do you want? Do you want a very... Sure centralized point where maybe like a Mario 64 where you jump into all these different worlds just with the center hub do you want mm-hmm. it to be this constantly you know walk in walk out basically like a skyrim with the exception of the holds and the caves and all that stuff sure. you know do you want it to be like a witcher a witcher 3 do you want it to be like a super mario brothers and then just having the ability to then say like how much of a difference do we need within all these different areas to make it believable and make Mm -hmm. it feel unique and make it feel immersive and so like in a red dead redemption when i go into what is quote the south it changes pretty Mm -hmm. quick into a swamp or if i go into the north it changes pretty quick into like a wooded area or a snowy area and then a game like Mario 64, if I want to jump into bomb Om land, then I can go and do that. Or if I want to jump into a water world, like I can go and do that. And it's still all believable because it's within this central hub within that game. And you mm-hmm. can, you know, just having the setup in the game design of, uh, and that vision of what you want it to be is just so, so important. It's it's the, the the bones of what we get into, and I think that especially talking about Red Dead leads us into story story design. You know, you you have this idea that we're going to be telling with the with the gameplay design. Okay, it's going to be a cowboy story. It's going to be set in the old you know United States and within like kind of the South and Mexico as parts of it. We're going to be talking about these characters. We build in these characters um, into it, and you know, character design especially in Red Dead is insanely important. And that builds into the story design. You know, what, what is the story that we want to tell with these characters? And in Red Dead, I mean, it's obviously a very, very deep, deep story that we want to tell 
and, and build out with dialogue and build out with these written dialogue choices that builds into the story that allows the characters to drive that story, to drive the narrative that we as an audience discover and build upon and feel and learn about with Arthur and John and the others in the band to feel. I mean, the story is like what makes us feel. I mean, it's, it's what drives like every Final Fantasy game. It's what drives even like Call of Duty games when we're playing like single player. Like there is a story narrative that we're building upon and other games are definitely more story heavy, Red Dead, compared to like Call of Duty, you know, stuff like Super Meat Boy. And these ones are more indie titles, but still have their own story. Yeah, story is an interesting one because I've played video games where the story is obviously very, very important. Like you said, the Red Dead Redemption series. I think the Assassin's Creed series for a long mm-hmm. time, the story was very important. Gears of War, the original trilogy, the story became yes. very, very important within that game. I think Halo has started to try and attempt to incorporate more of the story stuff, but at the same time was such a successful franchise that really its story was in those separate mediums in the books and all mm-hmm. the external stuff. And so you can see where there is this dichotomy of games that are able to be successful with and without story. And obviously, in my opinion, the best games are the ones that hit all five of these categories that fire on all those cylinders. But it's so difficult to be able to do that. And I think that Rockstar, in their more recent titles, has probably been the most consistent as far as hitting all five of these categories. But it also mm-hmm. takes them like a million billion years to put a game out. <laughs> yeah. And when they put a game out, it's always very acclaimed. But then they just kind of move on to the next thing and you don't always get that extra support. So there's a lot of resources that go into making games work based on all five categories. But then there are games that the story just, you know, it can repeat itself and still be fun. Look at like the Pokemon series, for example. Mm-hmm. It's simple. They've used the same story since 1996 or whatever. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to analyze how important it is because I think that Red Dead Redemption 1 versus 2, for example, uh, Red Dead mm-hmm. Redemption 1, obviously a very compelling story. Red Dead Redemption 2, another very compelling story. But those two games are so different to me in how those stories translate into gameplay. Sure. I think that in Red Dead Redemption 1, John Marston makes a lot more sense in the gameplay and is way more consistent from his cutscenes to when you actually play the game versus mm-hmm. Arthur Morgan. And I love Red Dead Redemption 2, but one thing where I think they emphasize the story so much and got all these mocap actors and real actors and use their likenesses in the game. I think that sometimes it's a little jarring going from cutscene into gameplay. For instance, very early in the game, even if you are playing as a good character, Arthur just goes off on a tangent and just beats mm, the mm-hmm, shit mm-hmm. out of someone. Just brutally beats the shit out of them. And... If you're not playing as that kind of character and the game designers have decided on a very particular story, then you lose a little bit of the immersion in that process. So it's, you know, at what point do you say, I want to be able to give players freedom, but I also want to drive a narrative? And how much weight do you really want the game to put in the story? And I think going back to Pokemon, I think Nintendo kind of puts story last, but I think it works. I think for most of their games, the story is an af- not an afterthought. I'm not going to say that, but it's not a major player in pushing the narrative that you're doing. Like we talked about in Super Mario, it's go save princess from Bowser. I mean, that's most every Mario game with, you know, flavor and changes throughout, but that's for the most part. And then even like Zelda's a little more advanced, but it's very similar. Either get the Triforce, get the Master Sword, defeat Ganon, or defeat your big bad, maybe save someone. It follows the same trend with it, but it makes sure that that game design and game character design is done insanely well. And then you have, obviously, with music and sound design, too, building into that. But going to story, another category that put story pretty much first was most of your Telltale games. 
So that's your kind of choose your own adventure games where like the story drove everything and you as this third party person, even fourth wall breaking, are making the decisions for a lot of these characters. Even Stanley Parable. In Stanley's Parable, they have so many ways for you to complete this game. There's so many, excuse me, different endings that you can try and achieve. And it is this story narrative that slowly builds it out. And when you have such a great, compelling story, whether you're choosing your own adventure, whether you're playing as Arthur Morgan, whether you're even playing as like Laura Croft going through like Tomb Raiding, there are so many elements that we remember, so many lines that we remember from games that drive on and make this a, make this a huge shift from early games, which may have tried to have a story or play on something, but games became more cinematic when more attention to detail was put into the story and the dialogue, because once you have that, you can start to be cinematic. You can start to actually have actors play these things than to have, you know, an 80s or 90s voice clip of like Kawabunga playing when you're a Ninja Turtle into now having <laughs> a story built upon that. Which I would just play that game all day long. <laughs> Kawabunga, baby. Let's do oh, it. Yeah. Give me a pizza, a nice New York slice. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, so... And it changes it because even even that, even like Turtles in Time has at least a linear story, but it's an arcade story. It's yeah. a story trying to just just to drive the level. It's yeah. not anything that's trying to make you think with it. It's driving you to the level to fight the next boss, to put more quarters into the game. And when we can expand past that and deliver a cinematic piece, a narrative piece is, I think, where we shift into, quote unquote, modern gaming. Where, where gaming has transcended from, oh, those things will make your brain rot, into this is part of culture. This is a cultural piece that has shifted to tell a story very much like going down to your local movie theater or HBO or you know whatever's telling the story. You're now seeing it on your own screen, and you get to be the character in that story. Absolutely. You know, you and I kind of offline, we're talking a little bit about the Star Wars uh, movies. Mm -hmm. And the most recent Star Wars title, the um, Fallen Order, uh, I actually find the story to be relatively compelling. And so while I wasn't mm -hmm. maybe necessarily satisfied with some of the more recent Star Wars films, I feel really good about going and playing that game and enjoying myself and getting a little Star Wars fix. Sometimes video yeah. games, you know, do a pretty solid job. Of just uh, another one is uh, the oh, what's the one with uh, is that the Force Unleashed? I think yes, yes. Star where you Killer. play as like yes, where you're kind of in between where Darth Vader and you know the rebels and all that stuff and and doing that story that was really fun to me as well. So there are a lot of times mm -hmm. where video game stories just kind of fill gaps even between real life stories or not real life stories, but real life <laughs> media that has sure, its other own story. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, you know, they can be kind of fun for that way. I think Telltale was a really great example as well, just because that's a game that really only focused on story and it still was mm -hmm. relatively successful. The studio went under eventually, but that's because maybe they were using these very expensive IPs to sort of drive that. Yes. I think yeah. that there are pl plenty of point-and-click stories that have existed outside of popular IPs where a story-driven, solely story-driven game can still be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point I want to end on, too, is just I, I love narrative. I even love narrative. So I'll even say this story with a game. Not only is the story written within the game great, I love lore outside of it. I love lore that you can build upon to, for your character design, for your world design, that the studios can build out of that. We see that in League of Legends. We see that in Apex, where they're not story-driven games whatsoever. Yeah. They are game mechanic games. They look good, but they're game mechanic heavy and character heavy, and that's pretty much it. But then when you can get lore outside of that and build upon that and world build, it's really cool. Now. I do want to shift this because I think that's kind of all very much visuals we're seeing. We're seeing kind of how the game has started, how the story is written. We're building into it. One thing that I think is probably the most overlooked usually is the sound design. 
because sure, you, you, you may recognize a song. You may recognize the theme songs of Super Mario, you know, Elder Scrolls games, GTA. You probably will remember some of the jingles or tunes from a lot of these that like hype you up. But it's not just that. It's how does a sword sound when it swings? Does a gun fire and make that correct sound? Even recording just straight up audio of characters, of line deliveries. Does that fit in and mesh into this world that's built around it? And I think sound design is very interesting. And I'm not, I guess I have a bias towards sound design just because I have more of a musical mind. So I don't mm-hmm. know if people see and hear that stuff the same way that I do. And so obviously I focus a lot on, you know, the music and the sound and sure whatever else is, is coming through in the game. Such an important immersion aspect, I think, mm-hmm. that moments can be made or they can be broken by bad sound design choices. And so when you have this big epic, like I'm going to see a ship in fallen order for the first time, like do I mm-hmm. want to watch it in silence or do I want to watch it with like a big sweeping symphony? You know, sure. That makes that moment feel completely different. And, you know, from a very early point, I think video games have been doing like some version of uh, like physical reactionary sound design that makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. Like running through a puddle of water, should you Mm -hmm. hear the splashes Mm -hmm. around you? And we've done uh, some podcasts in the past, like Age of Empires. I think we did where they mm-hmm. they go and do the uh the recordings in a cave to try and yes. like make a more interesting sound. And so there are definitely video games that try and think a little bit outside of the box and try and incorporate a little bit of realism into their video games. I feel like the music and the actual like physical effects like hitting a shield on a or hitting a sword on a piece of metal like mm-hmm. those two things have to work in tandem because yep. if i'm hitting that sword on a, a piece of metal and the music kind of cuts out so i can hear the mu- the metal or vice versa all of a sudden i could just do whatever i want and uh the music is just going to totally take over i played video games like that that just aren't made very well um, in that regard, and it can just feel a little silly. Yes, you have to have that perfect media, like media fix, where, like you said, like the, the audio within, like let's say, music to start it off with, you have those sweeping scores that work for, like, you know, a game that has that beautiful landscape and just feel, you can feel it. When you get like that, that actually like body feel from the music, Halo did it. I mean, oh yeah. When 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 you hit a ba 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 ba, and like you're Ooh. going through and fighting this, like it pumps you up. You feel it. Then you get those very light scores of just like a couple strings going when you're like discovering some forerunner stuff or going through and like seeing Halo for the first time. Halo has always done such an amazing thing with the music and the sound design itself too. The, the guns sound great, and they've improved that over time. Yeah. But the music's always been on point with it. And even a, a more modern game that did okay, um, but has one of my favorite levels that brings the hecticness along with it that it should is Back for Blood. Ooh. And in Back for Blood... I gotta hop back into th- this. We need to jump into it because there's, there's a level where you are at a bar. And very much like with Left for Dead, there are sequences where you have to like fight a horde while something's happening and you're waiting for things to happen. You are setting a distraction at this bar so that buses of survivors can get loaded out and you attract the zombies. Mm -hmm. Well, what you do is you kick on the jukebox and it plays, I think it's like three or four different songs, but my first one was Black Betty. Yeah. And like having that go with overrunning hordes and just like swinging melee weapons and like opening fire on zombies that are upon you, it is that Halo feel to it. It is the bump up a bump, but like with a using a song that was made by a band to just produce music to fit that in to your video game and have that visceral feel to it of being like, like it felt good. It felt amazing to like play a zombie game, which has been so overdone, but this level made it feel 
it made it feel like a Marvel moment when you're going character to character and they're like hitting different people, taking stuff down. That's how that felt. It's just like that cohesiveness of hearing like zombies come in, this music blaring over that sound because you crank that jukebox up. It's so cool. Yeah, it reminds me of a scene. I don't know if you saw the TMNT movie, but they have to capture all these monsters. And I'm pretty sure it's very Mm -hmm. similar to that moment in Back for Blood. They captured the last monster and Black Betty comes on. They're like at this diner and it's just absolute pure chaos. But there are moments like that that can be from a movie or an animated series or a video game Mm -hmm. that just kind of stick with you and you make the connection through the music. Like as soon as you said the bum, 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 I'm like, oh yeah, I remember yeah, all those moments playing the early Halo games and just having a lot of fun with it. And you know, it, it doesn't yeah. always have to be like that. It, it, like we said, it can be really subtle. Is Pokemon Red and Blue the same without the random monster crying noises when they come out of mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. Pokeballs, you know? Obviously it was nonsense, but it just gave you this feeling of, well, that's that monster's sound, you know? Yes. And, and you get that. And then there have been video games that are entirely based on sound. DDR, Rock Band, yep. Guitar Hero. You can make a video game focused, hyper-focused on any five of these categories, I think, and make it a good game. Yeah, and, and even like we're seeing a lot of indie titles where basically the creator is also working on all five. You know, I mean, you have started with Concerned 8 creating those, those sounds as well as like jumping over to Undertale, which are both two distinctly different soundtracks, mm-hmm. but two that fit those genres so well and have recognizable things. Even like in Undertale, when Sans talks and you hear like the, uh, uh, like that type of stuff, you know, it didn't sound anything like what I did, but it sounds like Sans and it sounds like these characters from it. And when you hear it and you've played it, it sticks with you and it fits those simplistic games very well. And, and it, it, it's such a core part that I think, I don't say any of us overlook. I think it's just easy to just, when it works, it works and you don't pay attention. When it doesn't work, you notice it. But when it works, it fits in seamlessly. Now, there are certain games that just, the, the soundtrack just takes over as the star of the show. And mm-hmm. I'm going to shout one out. There's an indie title from Xbox 360. I made a game with zombies in it. Oh, yes. That whole game, it was basically like um, Asteroid, but with zombies and the soundtrack. You basically play a game that's like 10 minutes long, and it's just this one song. I made a game with zombies in it. Highly recommend it. If you guys have not played that game, at least go and watch it on YouTube. You could probably watch it in 10 minutes, but very much yes, worth it. Yeah, and it's, it's so much fun to hear stuff like that but then let's jump over to i think what is one of like the biggest debates and i think the biggest issues in modern gaming and that comes down to the visuals the graphics the graphic design of the game uh which has always been a prevailing sales point for next gen i think that's always the biggest thing for next gen is oh it's in 720p it's in 1080p 4K, oh, that, that console can handle 8K. You can see, like, the nose hairs in that character from 20 feet away. <laughs> you know, that, I think, has always been fetishized a bit for a selling point. But I want to talk about when is it important to really focus on the graphics, and when is it not? And I think that even comes down to, like, what we talked about with sound design. Some games really require a lot of it to be integral. Some just, like, boom, hit one track, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I think that visuals for video games, for me, are frequently in the lower category of importance. But I've mostly Mm -hmm. primarily been a console gamer my entire life. And so I've always been sacrificing a little bit of the potential of certain video games, especially more recently. And so when I see a stunning video game that I think just looks incredible, I recognize it immediately. Mm-hmm. Someone sub- started submitting like Red Dead Redemption 2 screenshots to a local news station saying like, <laughs> yes, yes, here's, you know, my view this morning or whatever. And they put them on air like that's mm-hmm. how realistic a game can look now. And I think it's honestly incredible when they can do that. But yeah. at that same time, do you lose a little bit of the artistic aspects in that regard? Because if you're trying to just make 
a world that looks like the planet Earth, and you mm-hmm. just want to make it look as realistic as possible, you're not going to have a lot of room for debate. Like, a person looks like a person. An animal looks like an mm-hmm. animal. A tree looks like a tree. You can't change that. Whereas you take a Mario, and if I plug Mario into that same world, he's going to be really <laughs> out of place. Or yes. he's going to look kind of creepy if you try and make him look like a real human person. They can be a lot of fun, and they can be stunning. And, you know, there are mediums where it's stuff based on the planet Earth, but is not quite the planet Earth. It just looks really pretty and cool and neon. And I think that's, you know, what, what attracted people to, like, cyberpunk, you know, stuff like that, mm-hmm, cool mm-hmm. visuals. To me, this category has never been the most important because I grew up playing 8-bit, and 16-bit sure. games are now kind of popular just as like an indie uh, version of video games. Yeah, and, it, and it's a, a quick jump for, you know, one person or a small team to be able to create these visual assets without having to have these insanely expert artists who can jump into Maya, Blender, Cinema 4D and make 3D renders of like pore stretching, you know, over skin as we're seeing a lot of modern games. And I think that's where we have that divide now because I remember in the 2000s, like seeing like Madden and seeing these other ones, like, dude, that looks so real. Yeah. Like being able to see them, like play this like game and like, you know, playing like, cause I remember my dad who never really played games, seeing me play a game is like, is that, is that a TV show? I'm like, no, this is a game that looks <laughs> so real. Doesn't it? And then that was like, Oh six, you jump 10 years. You're like, that looks like garbage now. Yeah. Compared to how things have advanced. And that's just computer graphics in general. But there's a couple categories I'll jump into things with. Your Hyperreal, your uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4, so the w- remake of it yeah. that just happened, Red Dead Redemption 2, hyper-realistic. Want you to feel like real people in a real time, not overly saturated, hitting the color tones of that era. Kind of your, you're kind of like almost like a hyper-real photo. Or I guess that is real. Hyper-real drawing, I should say. Where it, it feels lifelike. Yeah. It feels as lifelike as you could get. And that's where a lot of AAA titles kind of sell that. Then you hit onto oversaturated realism, like No Man's Sky. It feels like you could have these flora and fauna in somewhat real life, but it's overly saturated, colorful, beautiful. And we see a lot of games doing that, especially animated games like Ratchet and Clank, that bring this really beautiful stylistic art that could be quote unquote real in this universe, but it doesn't have to relate to, like you said, like the, the Oak tree outside. It doesn't have to look and feel like that. It can just be in that realm of it. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that there are a lot of games that definitely hyper-focus on those as selling points. And Mm -hmm. I think they'll always get people uh, to buy games just based on the visuals alone. So I think that it is a smart selling point. You're not going to be able to sell a video game for the most part and be like, but our soundtrack's really cool. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen. People want cutting-edge technology for visuals. That extends beyond video games. It goes into, you know, we had VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to 4K. Obviously, all the advancements just in televisions in general and gaming monitors Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so... It is something that will always continue to be an important focus for groups that make video games, especially AAA titles, not like the people that are just hoping to make a game because it's their passion project. For sure. You know, and then we're, we're not going to see that because AAA studios are at this point really the only ones that can do that with like uh, Horizon Forbidden West that just came out. You know, seeing like this amazing skin detail and like hairs on the skin, like stuff we usually don't see like in gaming things, but like seeing these minute details are beautiful. And when you pair it along with either good story, good mechanics, good gameplay, it adds to it. But then you can also just look at all these other simplistic games that aren't necessarily AAA titles, but they could be like Fortnite. Fortnite has no realism to it. No. It tries to be this cartoony, silly self of it, and that's what sells it. And I think that's what works for a lot of a lot of general audience for that. Overwatch did the same thing. Silly, goofy graphics of potentially real things. Not the most cutting edge on either of those, but they sold a lot. 
you know, so, so does that make it? Is it always going to have to be those graphics? Among Us. Among Us is one of the most played games of really all time. And all it is is just these like 2D little pixel dudes running on like a 2.5D map. Yeah, in a very gray background and a very mm-hmm. just bland environment. And it's not always what sells a game, but it does help if your game is sure. maybe not as good in some of the other categories. Maybe the gameplay is not that good. Maybe the game's really short. You spent yeah. so much time making the game, you know, graphically appealing. Call of Duty World War II, beautiful cutscenes. Some of the greatest mm-hmm. I've ever seen, to be honest. Very, very short video game. One of the first Call of Duty games that I played in a long time. A lot of fun. And the graphics definitely made it more compelling in those story moments. Yes. All other things aside, it was a Call of Duty game. But it can help. Yeah, but... The- yeah, they, they want to tell that realistic story. Call of Duty wants to be that movie that you get to control one of the protagonists or various protagonists in it. And it does. It, it, it's done for years really well at selling the movie quality of it, the writing in it, the you know, visual narrative in it. It does really well with that. Now, you can play multiplayer and just jump into that. Sure. And that really has no story aspect of it. But when you bring in those single-player stories, and I'm glad that we're having a resurgence of single-player story games. We kind of died out for a couple of years where it was like, sacrifice the story for making loot boxes. Yeah. But we are, we are bringing those back. And that's, that's very exciting. I'm very excited to support those games and be able to experience new stories. One, one to bring up real quick was one I played on stream a couple months back called Medium. Mm-hmm. Medium was a very interesting visual story where you... Not to spoil anything, but you're basically detecting of like who this person is, these details that you've got because you worked at this morgue and you saw dead relatives, but you can shift between basically what is kind of like a hell purgatory in real life. And it created this really cool visual narrative to be able to play through. So there are not just graphics in terms of like, can I max out, you know, my 4K 140. 144 like P screen stuff I'm working with. Get that refresh rate way high on it. Yeah. But can I also just like make it visually appealing? Yeah, it definitely is more than than just a graphical quality. It is also a I think a color scheme, like you said, with No Man's mm-hmm. Sky. That kind of like Soho neon kind of vibe. Yes. And uh yeah. those those colors, those highly saturated colors are you know, eye-popping, eye-catching. Yeah, they, 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 they immerse you into it. And it's especially like after we got out of the 10 years of grays, browns, and drab, <laughs> and finally added some color to games, that's where we kind of made that shift. So yeah, it's, it's, I think the visuals are always one of those things that hit a controversial point at times where they're just like, oh, it's not real enough. Ugh, the hair doesn't flow perfectly for this thing to look visually correct. And it's like, is that the most important thing we're working with here? Or can we let some of these things slide to enjoy the rest of what the game brings us. Is that a, is that like a PC gamer thing? Like, do you think that has been brought on by the prevalence of, or the resurgence of PC gaming? For a little bit, for like a lot of the memes of like ray tracing 4K, but a lot of it comes to console quality, like jumping to the PS5 and jumping to the Xbox, whatever. Like, I think bringing that too and being like, look, 4K gaming for this. Mm -hmm. And I think, PC has always held its own for a while. I think it's like into the quote unquote console market again because consoles are catching up yeah. to PC quality. But I mean, that was even the jump, jumping from cartridge to disc and then from disc to Blu-ray disc. And, and those jumps, I mean, that was always kind of like, like I said, it was fetishized as like, that's what makes a good game a game. If it looks great, and it plays great. The, the, the humans look insanely real. I think that was also just the evolution coming out of the 90s and then into the 2000s and then from the 2000s coming into the 2010 where we do start to see more of like you know HD is a regular 4K is coming like like we start to see and want to see those things and i think it followed the trend of movies and television itself of getting HD yeah that makes sense i think that it just to me i know that there's like a lot of online discussion about getting like obviously the greatest and latest graphics card that you can get. You know, you want those mm-hmm. amazing visuals. You, that's really important to a lot of people when it comes to upgrading their PCs. Whereas for me with the PlayStation 5, I was definitely more interested in the performance versus like the PlayStation 4 because mm-hmm. it got to a point to where the visuals were 
becoming an, an issue on the performance of my PlayStation 4. And so I don't know if PC gamers kind of have that same problem and if that is like transformed a little bit more into like I need to be on the cutting edge so that I have this performance advantage or not. Because those two things, I mean, they do kind of coincide with our next topic. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the hardware for these really nice graphics, then sometimes you're going to run into mechanics issues or uh, immersion issues, I think. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and so so getting to like game mechanics, I think a lot of that breaks down into how does your game play? Mechanically speaking, like you said, like kind of overclocking it and making sure it works, but also is it fun to play? You know, is it a game where I feel like I am having fun on this platforming? Does it does like a double jump feel good? Does do these mechanics within the game make so that your immersion continues along with it and it makes it fun to play or is it like a halo 4 ending where i'm just hitting like my stick up with a qte to finish the final boss yeah you know you need to make sure that those game mechanics overall work extremely well through the game to give the players an immersive feel to give the players a feeling of like being in those character's shoes of jumping shooting running driving those all need to coincide when you have everything else built in. Yeah, mechanics stuff, it's nothing is worse than when you're like halfway running through a wall. That was such a big mm-hmm. issue. As as much as I have uh, nostalgia-tinted glasses for all of the old video games that I played growing up, that was such a huge problem back then where you could just halfway yeah. pop into a wall. Sometimes if you ran into it fast enough, you try and slide through. And I know that that stuff happens more now uh or happen happened more then and still happens a little bit now but it's just when the mechanics don't feel right like if i swing a sword and it goes through a wall i swing a lightsaber and it's cutting someone but they're just kind of like falling over then obviously Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of realism that is lost upon me and I think that the mechanics are largely uh, similarly to the rest of the categories, but probably like in the top three of the five important. That's why uh, Super yes. Mario Brothers worked because it had good game yeah. mechanics. It had amazing game mechanics for the time and, and like being able to run and like long jump, short jump, long jump by holding the same button is crazy. And, and I think modern day, two things in game mechanics. One is quality assurance. Um, so that is testing your game out and we you know we do have game testers now i mean it's actually a role not just people playing the game but people come out and like try and break it all day long yeah so we usually get those bugs ironed out but then you have stuff like the assassin's creed where like on cutscenes, it's just like the eyeballs and the teeth and like the skin is gone you know like oh, little yeah. like glitches the like SEO that trilogy yeah the remaster where yes it'll it'll take you out of those things because it was rushed or look at um a couple other different quality assurance things going into like the uh, Grand Theft Auto trilogy that just came out where they did like ports of like oh. Vice City and three and these other ones that are just yeah. look not only just look terrible, but were just ported poorly and, and, and rated poorly because of that. But then look at games like Titanfall and Apex that, in my opinion, have perfected movement, perfected movement entirely feeling you feel like you're running, you feel like you're walking in the sliding moments. It feels good. Those mechanics feel great and unfortunately you know titanfall and titanfall 2 came out at bad times and 
underperformed, you know, for the studio, but then you have Apex come in, bring in that free-to-play Battle Royale, but keep that movement. It works so well, and it feels so good. And it's like you have games like that where the movement and the first-person shooter aspects, especially, I think, also kind of gives them a little bit of leeway because Mm -hmm. you experiencing it in the first person you don't necessarily know if your feet suddenly just went through like a entire floor or whatever else these third person perspective games is where i think they have to be more careful because like if the character is floating inches off the ground as they walk you're gonna notice that and it's Mm -hmm. you're not gonna be as immersed in the game and so certain mechanics in physics have gotten a lot better, I think, about not having the floating feet, not having the, uh, the static water or, you yes. know, just the unending sky. You know, they've done a, a lot with, like, sunlight and lights in general and, and things mm-hmm. that sort of tie into the graphical developments a little bit more as well. Yeah, that keep you immersed, but are also important to making the mechanics make sense. And mocap technology in particular has been very helpful for uh, player movements and things like that, adding more realism into these games. And I think that that's one of the better developments that video games have made, just being realistic and, uh, you know, especially in like a sports genre, being realistic about how a player catches a ball how yes. a, a baseball is thrown or a batter swings, uh, how someone kicks in FIFA or slaps a puck. All that stuff has not only become like, from when those sports games first came out, not only become very realistic in the graphical sense, but also mm-hmm. customized to the point to where if I want Steph Curry's shot versus Michael Jordan's shot style, I can mm-hmm. pick between those two things in MPA 2K. And those are the things that make games more immersive versus like NBA Jam, where it's five guys that look like they're about 90 feet tall compared to the, <laughs> you know, regardless of how tall they actually are, um, sure. all taking the same kinds of arcadey random shots or NFL Blitz, where all of a sudden the guys are just launching their entire bodies uh, regardless of size at their opponent, you know, they've gotten so much better about that stuff. But even then those game mechanics worked for exactly what those games were for. Look, and then look at like, even like adaptations to that idea of going over the top and like goat simulator being a game that is just a ridiculous premise. And then using the physics engine, using these really dumb things to exploit what people are trying to perfect and be like, okay, we, we have to make sure like if they ragdoll, it's only like, you know, 0.2 pixels this way that goes like this. And Goat Sim is like, what if ragdoll just entirely breaks? What if we just go for it? Yeah. And you have those games and those are the mechanics of that game. And it worked really well for being the first in this weird physics-based game because we start to get uh, ragdoll games after this, like Gang Beasts, Humans Fall Flat, that use this idea of like just jelly characters yeah that use those weird physics prop physics properties of it to make the game and sometimes those silly mechanics that are discovered on accident or are bugs are implemented in those ways and yeah like nba jam is like over the top ridiculous arcadey shooter basketball shooter <laughs> excuse me we're not just <laughs> shooting basketball players on the court um <laughs> sorry magic sorry magic you're gone um, and then like, you know, NFL Blitz, like NFL Blitz 2000 was one of my favorite football games for a while because it was so dumb. But then when they did the Blitz remake, I think they just took it and tried to make it too real. Oh, and like I own that game. To, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And they needed to, but yeah, you're right. But make it more arcade, like leave Madden. Madden. Boom. That's his own league. Yeah. Make a more ridiculous thing like Blood Ball is another ridiculous style of sport with it that's like football-esque, but it doesn't take itself seriously in the mechanics department. It knows it can't be a Madden. And that's, what, that's the huge shift that we see between um, Grand Theft Auto and Saints Row. Saints Row 1 and even 2 tried to be GTA clones. Then they went, listen, we can't, we can't touch GTA. 
we need to do our own thing. And then three and four and all those kind of went off the rails and made their own mechanics with it. Superhero mechanics, ridiculous guns, ridiculous things that felt like GTA in its own very neat, tight, compact mechanics it's had for years, and then shifts it. And you bring up an interesting point just with the ragdolling that pretty much all five of these categories can be one direction or the other and still make a good Mm -hmm. game, probably with the exception of sound design, I would say. I think if you take four of these five categories, you make really bad graphics, if you make outrageous mechanics, if you have a Mm -hmm. silly story and your vision is exactly that, then you could still make a really great game that's a lot of fun, like a Goat Simulator. Is Goat Simulator going to outsell a hyper-realistic game, a Red Dead Redemption? Probably not. But is it going to take nearly as much effort? No, it's not. No. No. And and that's two. I think that's another category. We can talk about whole thing is is time versus price, time versus quality of, of getting things out there. When you have, you know, $500 $500 million spent on a game, I mean, you could make it the most realistic thing with the amazing story. But when you're working with a budget of 100000 or you're working with, like, you and I mortgaging our homes and hoping to put it out there like Super Meat Boy, yeah. like, you're working with what you have in your small kit of what you know, what you can discover on the internet, and just the talent and time you have. So, yeah, so I don't want to fault any of these games we've talked about. They all have pluses and minuses. No game... It's a 10 out of 10 in every category for these, for like the quality put into it. You have to have the sliders. You have to know that time has, like time is, time is real. Time is the one thing you can't shift with these things. And triple A's have fallen victim to time. Battlefield, even Halo Infinite to a point, especially multiplayer. Yeah. They've taken hits where maybe if they sacrifice a little bit of this, then they could have put it out there. But time is a bitch, as they say. But yeah, let us know what you're thinking about like all these different game ideas with it, whether it's in the game design, you know, any aspects that you think are most important or that you think aren't or games that do one better than the other. Let us know with that. Absolutely. I'm really curious what everyone's thoughts are on what kind of games they think do not only one of these categories really well, but maybe a category where you feel like they should have focused in a little bit more and made a game better. I think that there are a lot of video games that can be analyzed in this kind of five category system. Absolutely. And what do you think is the most important? What's one thing that you also feel that's lacking? Do you think that people need to focus on story more or is it per genre? That is also another fun discussion. So let us know. And as always, let us know some more topics that you want Derek and I to kind of cover in depth, bring up about, have a discussion about, and we'll get them over to you. All right, guys. Well, it's been a lot of fun and we'll see you next time. You're beautiful. Love you guys. Bye.